now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning and welcome to Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Belly with you through until 12 midday. On the programme today, what should you do when someone like Donald Trump turns up on your timeline? I'm very clear that retweeting from Britain first was the wrong thing to do. The Prime Minister got into a spat with the American President when she took him to task for sharing anti-Muslim videos from a far-right group. But how do you react when you discover friends sharing extremist content on your social media? Do you call them out or do you just ignore it? I'll be talking to an expert in social media etiquette and want to hear about your experiences. Also on the programme today, Scotland's councils are raiding the rainy day funds just to keep the show on the road. And the spending watchdog says some of them will soon have nothing left. We'll hear from a council leader who's had to dip into their savings. The stress is coming from all directions. The relief is not coming from central government. And is your last local bank about to leave town? Between the RBS and the Bank of Scotland, they're closing 75 branches across Scotland. Tory MSP Oliver Mundell is so angry, he says he's going to boycott them. I don't think uh, the RBS should should get away with this scot-free. I'm planning to close my own uh, personal banking accounts. How is it going to affect you? We'd love to hear from you. The number again is 0333 2020 401. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Well, Donald Trump's done it again. The US president has been the centre of attention because of something he tweeted, or in this case, retweeted. This time is because he forwarded on to his 43 million followers a series of videos from the account of Jada Franzen, the deputy leader of the far-right group Britain First. Now, the videos claim to show Muslims committing crimes, although they're all unverified and at least one is fake. Tala Ahmed is from the Muslim Council of Britain. I was shocked and horrified uh, because Britain First is not just an ordinary far-right group. It is an extremist, effectively a terrorist organization. Um, and for the President of the United States to share their video, which is full of hatred towards Muslims, is just uh, beyond belief. He is the President of the United States, the most powerful country on earth. And so when he retweets, it has a value, it has a power. And secondly, because unfortunately for Mr. Trump, his track record on issues involving Muslims are not great. And for that reason, I think it is a grave error of judgment, even if he disagrees with the content. Theresa May put out a statement saying it was wrong for him to have done that. So the president hit back with yet another tweet saying, Theresa, don't focus on me. Focus on the destructive radical Islamic terrorism in the United Kingdom. We are doing just fine. Although the first time he tried it, he got the wrong address and sent it to another person called Theresa May rather than the British Prime Minister. The White House spokeswoman, Sarah Huckabee Saunders, defended his actions. I think what he's done is elevate the conversation to talk about a real issue and a real threat. That's extreme violence and extreme terrorism, something that we know to be very real and something the president feels strongly about talking about and bringing up and making sure is an issue every single day that we're looking at the best ways to protect Americans. Did the president, when he retweeted Jada Franson know who she was? No, I don't believe so. But I, again, I think he knew what the issues are. And that is that we have a real threat of extreme violence and terrorism, not just in this country, but across the globe. 
But the Prime Minister is standing her ground. The fact that we work together does not mean that we're afraid to say uh, when we think the United States have got it wrong and to be very clear with them. And I'm very clear that retweeting from Britain first was the wrong thing to do. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, have you ever found yourself in Theresa May's position? Have you ever scrolled through your Facebook or Twitter feed and found that one of your friends is sharing posts by Britain First or something else which is extremist or indeed just downright offensive. Perhaps it was racist, homophobic or sectarian instead. How have you handled it? Do you unfriend them or block them? Do you send a reply and try and pull them up for it? Or did that trigger an almighty row? Or have you just ignored it because you don't want to start falling out with your friends online and then they might unfriend you? Social media is very different, isn't it, to dealing with people face to face. So what is the etiquette? How should you respond when a Donald Trump turns up on your timeline? There's a famous quote from Edmund Burke. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So what should we do? Sean Murrakin is a social media risk expert. I must admit, Sean, I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> what is? Good morning to you, first of all. What is a social media risk morning, expert, then? So um, I've uh, worked in social media for, uh, well, as long as it's existed, really. So, uh, you know, obviously not very long in the great scheme of things. But um, I have uh, worked to, uh, you know, uh, tackle trolling, tackle online abuse, and so on, um, uh, you know, for, for, for a number of years in a number of roles. Uh, so, yes, that's, that's basically the, the, the long, the, the short of it is, you know, finding ways to try and help keep online a, a slightly safer place. Mm, mm. And, and some people do find it a bit daunting, don't they? I mean, you, you can get, mm. you, you know, you get these, um, and I've, I've had them, you know, because I, I, my Facebook page is sort of open, and, and uh, most people, uh, if they apply to be a friend, then, you know, that's what the programme is all about, so I want people to, to engage with me on it. Um, but there are some strange ones come through that even I draw breath on. Uh, how do we protect ourselves, Sean? Okay, so if you have a, say you've got a relative or someone like that has retweeted or shared something that you think is completely inappropriate, you have to think uh, on two fronts. Firstly, is it completely uh, unacceptable? Is it hate speech? And if it is hate speech, then the most responsible thing to do in the first instance is to report it to the platform itself. On every tweet and on every Facebook post, you'll see up at the top right, there's like a three little dots or something like that. And if you click on that, then you can report that post to the platform. Now, each of these platforms have varying uh, levels of you know, what they'll accept on the platform. And, you know, they can be quite inconsistent. But unless you're sort of providing them with that feedback, they can never really know what's acceptable and what's not. As you say, you know, all it takes is for people to stand by and do nothing. So unless people are actually reporting these posts and posts that are, you know, outright hate speech, so, you know, generally classifying an entire race or gender or, uh, you know, group of people, um, you know, casting them all in the same light, 
uh, in a negative way, uh, then, uh, you know, the, the platforms will just go, well, no one's complaining about it, mm. so everyone must be okay about it. Right. Um, so you've, you've got that side of things, but then you've also got the other sort of side of it as well, which is that, um, you know, if, if it is just about a particular issue and it's that, uh, you know, what's often called uh, dog whistling, which is, you know, feeding out little bits of information that just build up a general negative picture, uh, then that's slightly more tricky because, you know, objectively, a platform is unlikely to take action on that sort of thing. Are we too open? Are we, too, you know, as a general public, Sean, are, are we too open in, in that we just accept everything that's going on in social media? Possibly. I mean, I think it's uh, what, uh, I mean, you know, since, as, as you were saying a minute ago, the um, idea of, uh, you know, people on social media are often different from how they are face-to-face. Mm. And I think we can, it, that's the easiest thing to forget is that, you know, the people we're talking to are real people, especially on Twitter where there's a, a, a haze of anonymity. It's very easy to set up an anonymous account, fire out a load of hate speech, and then just sit back and let the fireworks go. You know, that's, um, that seems to be, uh, you know, several people's... Uh, you know, approach, but the, the what we're mainly talking about is, you know, obviously your, your friends and your loved ones and, and so on and so forth, which is slightly more tricky because you're starting to deal with things that people who you care about and often love saying things that you, you know, disagree with on a very basic level. And it's very easy to go, right, well, they've put that out there, so I'm going to put this back out there and have back at them. So, you know, in the comments directly underneath, uh, it's very tempting to sort of say, well, this is a whole load of, you know, hooey or, or whatever, and, um, uh, and start a fight online with them. And you do instantly forget that these are people that you actually care about. Mm-hmm. You, you know, these are people that you've uh, grown up with and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, I think the, the, the issue with a lot of this is you have to focus on the terms that they use and the language that they're using rather than necessarily the validity of their beliefs. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's about sort of dealing with it in that way. You know, the, just because somebody says one, uh, somebody once said to me, if, you know, if somebody says a stupid thing, it doesn't mean that they're a stupid person. It just means they've said one stupid thing. So it's, you know, you don't instantly classify that entire person down to that one post that they might have made. I think also I've used it quite often where I think, you know, I've been around here long enough now that I can remember when people had to sit down. If they wanted to say something, they'd just sit Mm. down, get a piece of paper out, uh, write it down, put it in an envelope and send it to someone who they were going to complain against. Now it is so easy. And I I, I put that towards um, sometimes the abuse that uh, not just me, uh, you know, but other radio presenters can get as well. And and Mm -hmm. anybody in the media, you know, if somebody doesn't like something you've said uh, or indeed just doesn't like you, which, you know, it happens. uh, (laughs) They they just get on the keyboard, you know, and, and they rattle it out. Whereas before they'd have to sit down and actually think about it. So it's it's immediate, isn't it? It is, and it, I mean, there's there's great power for good as well as great power for for bad with social media. And you know, there's it, undoubtedly social media has done a huge amount to bring people together, to um, you know, create movements, to create positive change, um, and also just on a more you know day to day basic level, uh, keep families closer. You know, I uh, live 
quite a far distance away from a lot of my family, but we can keep in touch through social media, through sharing pictures of kids and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and it's because I think we, we have to, we deal with um, people in that sort of way. You've got uh, both family and complete strangers all in the same place that I think guards can slip sometimes. And mm. uh, again, it's that, you know, if, if you, people forget um, that there is a real person on the other end of it, you know, and, you know, certainly I imagine the, the letters that you'd uh, received back in the day and certainly looking back to things like points of view and so on and so forth, they've always been fairly, um, strong, you know, out there. It's like, you know, <laughs> you don't just sort of say, it's like if you sit next to somebody on, uh, if, you, if you're on a delayed train and you uh, are talking to the conductor, um, you might say to them, what's going on you know why i can't believe the train's late this is really difficult but then if you if it's online that can suddenly embellish to the entire infrastructure is creaking and the mm, yeah. <laughs> massive problem i'm going to call in uh the, the highest authority on this and, and so and it just gets completely out of hand you know so it's always ideal or it's always better when people are talking to each other as other people but people do forget that sometimes and when people forget that the best reaction to that is to remember the humanity and to remember that you're talking to other people and not to just jump to well i'm going to play them at their own game you know let's fight fire with fire Mm. Yeah, I, I take that from, you know, and, I, and I've been in that situation. So, you know, you think, take mm. a couple of steps back here you know, and, and, and just think about this before automatically responding. And, and, and just going back to the uh, Donald Trump situation, I mean, his people said he didn't know what the group Britain First was all about. And he's probably not alone in that, is he? I mean, that, that's something would crop up and a lot of people wouldn't know what it was about. Well, Britain First is an absolute masterclass in viral marketing. They uh, managed to build one of the biggest Facebook audiences um, for politics, certainly in the country. Uh, they've got 1.9 million followers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that 1.9 million people in the UK are supporters of Britain First and are you know, fully signed up to their uh, objectives. You know, they created... Uh, materials they started out by creating materials which was very much uh, you know support our troops share a few uh, respect Princess Diana you know lots of um, fairly uh, you know uh, nationalistic sort of ideas as in you know UK nationalistic ideas um, which were just you know building up their audience and it was after that they started dripping in more and more in the way of hate and it, it's the fact that by that point they had the audience. So because if you looked at it, you know, if you had never heard of Britain First and you went onto the Facebook page today, you would see Britain First, 1.9 million followers. And you go, oh, well, these guys must be worth listening to because 1.9 million people listen to them. Um, it, it's that sort of thing. Or, um, you, you know, Jada Franson herself, she's got a blue check mark, I believe, on Twitter. So uh, that instantly adds a certain level of validity. So there's, you know, there's always a question of the sources should be questioned. Um, I'm, as I say, an expert more in uh, direct social media relations, not international politics. Right, I right, that. right. So, um, I can't exactly say what was going through Trump's mind at the time.
But again, uh, even just um, taking us away then from the the Trump situation, if, um, uh, you know, there is some arguments on social media going on and they can turn quite nasty, if, if like me, in occasions you ignore it, are you condoning it? I don't necessarily think so. I mean, there is an aspect of, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's freedom from expression is not, freedom from consequence as you know as we, you know as, as we always say and the other accusation that comes up especially when it's talking about blocking people like this is oh you're stifling freedom of speech you're absolutely not because they're free to say it they just don't have to you don't have to listen to it um much in the same way as i don't go down to the pub with a whole lot of mates whose opinions i find abhorrent because you know i quite like chatting to mates that i get on with and we speak about similar things but uh, that's that's a you know a, a slight diversion there i think i mean with um uh, you know with, with that sort of thing Sorry, I've lost my thread a little bit there. <laughs> I think it's gone off in one direction there. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's again down to the, you know, when somebody says something online, that is not necessarily who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. You can confront them online, you know, but I wouldn't really recommend it. Far better to have that conversation face-to-face. And if it's, you know, if it's, for instance, a Facebook um, account that you're following or you've, you've got a Facebook friend or a Twitter account, that is, you know, spewing stuff that you don't particularly agree with and you don't get on with them in real life, then you kind of have to ask, why are you following them? Why are you friends with why, them? You why know? did you like them in the first place? Yes, yes, yes. exactly. If exactly. you wouldn't yeah. like them as a normal person, you know, if you were in a room and you would avoid them, why on earth would you accept a friend request? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Sean, thank you very much indeed for joining us and, and talking us through some of the areas that we should be very careful on. Uh, Sean Murrican, thanks indeed as a safe very Thank you. Bye-bye now. Cheers, uh, bye-bye. Sean, Sean Murrican is a social media risk expert, so he looks into all of those things. Uh, Jonathan's tweeted in and he says, um, as Voltaire goes, think for yourselves and let others enjoy the privilege to do so too. In other words, I may not agree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. Thank you, Jonathan, on the tweets there. And of course, if you'd like to join us, then the phone number is 033-2020-401. Twitter is hashtag Scotland's Talking. Email ally at thegreatesthits.co.uk and you can text. The text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali. It's 25 past 10. This is Scotland's Talking. Good morning. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. And Stephen has dialed in. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Ali. How are you today? I'm um, tickety boo. How are you? I'm doing no bad, Ali. Just off a night shift out there gritting roads so the folk can drive a bit safely in the roads of Scotland. We feel, you know, indebted to you and to all yeah. the gritter drivers across Scotland. Very hard workers, Ali, they're Absol- dedicated and they're there to Absolutely. make sure you smoke and go and travel about. That's it, yes. So is that the point you want to make? No, my point is, I think you better go off Donald Trump's back and MDLC's back. The world's full of opinions, Ali. And what I really think is, maybe we should, should never have developed a brain and stayed as monkeys. Because it doesn't matter what, if it's homophobic, sectarianism, racism, Nazism, any subject you like, Ali, in your puff, 
you're going to have a conversation with, like it or not, that is the world we live in. Maybe it's time to say, well, we'll scrap radios, scrap television, all media, and don't sell papers. Do nothing and let people integrate themselves and see what happens there, Ali. Because you're always going to have some sort of conversation. It's no matter if it's in a school, in a cafe, in a boozer's, or in a street corner, Ali. Because all I'm hearing is, is opinions. It's folks' opinions. And see if we don't like it, Ali. Who cares? Life's, life's too short to worry about all these subjects. We should be living peacefulness. That's how wars are caused with all these opinions and all these different subjects. Maybe it's time just to relax, Ali, to sit back because see Donald Trump or Theresa May one in the positions they were in and I had made these comments. Nobody would blink an eyelid. Yeah, but that's the whole position. They are in these positions, you know. He's he's a president hang on a minute, he's the president of the United States of America, a world leader. Surely he should, if anyone should, he should be engaging brain before opening mouth. Well, put this way, we all make mistakes. It doesn't matter who, what position he's in. How many phone calls, how many texts, how many emails have you sent, Ali, to the wrong place? No, he's just, he's just a guy. I, I generally think that he says, I'll go and stand for President of America. He didn't think in a million years that he would walk in there. And all the folk in America, they voted for him. And they, well, they put him in. Even they didn't think he was going to get in. No, he's just, he's just human, Ali. He's like the rest is. What do you want to do with the man? He's, do you want to wrap him up in cotton wool? Don't say this, don't say that. No, he's entitled to free speech, and that's what he thinks, Ali. He's quite correct in saying it. But if he, you know, he's got 40, Stephen, he's got 43 million followers on on his twit, Twitter thing. So oh, sure, no. surely, he should, you know, instead of just. Obviously, when he can't sleep at night, he sends out these texts to all his followers. He should maybe just by this time be sitting thinking to himself, right, is this is this the right thing to say? Do I know anything about Britain first? No, he didn't. He didn't know the first thing about them. No, no. I, I just think, he's like, he's like, get back to what I'm saying, he's, he's brain, everybody's brain, that's the way he's developed. And if that's what he generally thinks, Ali, he should be entitled to say that. It doesn't matter if he's a president of America or a quite true representative for yourself, Ali. He's entitled to say what he wants. It doesn't matter who's in charge of. Well, doing this programme, I can hardly disagree with you. He's got two followers more than you. He must have thought it too. But no, everybody is entitled to what they say. But it's getting back to this offensive thing. Excuse me, you're to a pub or a red. Folk do have conversations about homophobics and sectarianism, racism and, and all these different colours. And I, I think it's all wrong. And I think the media's to blame, Ali. I think the media's to blame. Oh, naturally, naturally, it would be the media that's to blame. Go on, then. Why is the media to blame? Because they're putting it on their radios and, and it's in papers and they're broadcasting this news every day. They're brainwashing us. They're, they're like fanatics. And that, it's like religion, Ali. They're, they're, they're trying to get into our brain. That's why I think they should all take a step back and just let folk think the way they want to think. I think the country's getting brainwashed, Ali. And you're picking in the poor Donald Trumps. You're picking, you're picking in the trees amazing these people. 
OK, Stephen, thank you very much indeed. It's all about opinions, and we're picking on the poor Donald Trump. OK, thanks for that. Uh, you agree or disagree with him? 033-2020-401. Here's another one that comes in on Twitter, and it says, I remember... I rem oh, it's come from, uh, yes, right. I remember years ago seeing a Facebook post from Britain First, which I shared not knowing who they really were. Others did likewise, as their posts were moderate in tone. For example, support our veterans. Eventually, I learned who they really were through a Facebook uh, post from somebody else. So, again, just following into it there uh, and then discovering. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Um, uh, who we got next? Oh, yeah, we've got somebody coming in on the lines at the moment, so we'll... we'll go to them in a second. I also want to go to uh, talking about Scotland's councils who are um, quite often they're dipping in to the reserves. That's the money that you and I would supply the councils. Now what happens when that money runs out? Um, we'll look to, to find out fairly shortly, okay, from one of the councillors. Uh, a couple of councillors will have talking. Are we, we taking a call just now? Yep, and just waiting on one coming through here. I can see them waiting, so I don't want to go to the break. Right, Oh, it's John. Hi, John. How are you doing? Sorry, it's Joe. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi there. Hi there. Hi. How are you doing? Not bad. What's your point? Hey, I'm the council leader. <laughs> oh, right, Joe. Joe, it's Joe, right? <laughs> Joe, my apologies. Right, OK. No bother at all. Right, right now, Joe, um, we're going to be talking about you dipping into the council funds. That's what right. you've been doing, haven't you? <laughs> I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm going to set out here by saying, no, right at the beginning here, I didn't used to think that councils and, you know, councillors, I thought they had it nice and easy. I actually think you're one of the most difficult jobs going, trying to keep people in your area, you know, um, happy. And and with the, the, the lack of money that you get, I really do think that local councils should be getting more money. Now, last year you decided to, to take £3.4 million, was it, from your reserves? How, yeah. how, how did you justify that, Joe? So I think uh, this all stemmed from the Accounts Commission report during the week, Ali, which was actually a very welcome report. It showed uh, the dire situation that councils are facing themselves uh, in because of cuts. Uh, I think 20 out of 32 have used reserves this year. From my own uh, point of view in North Fairshire, uh, I think we need to put some context into it. Uh, I became the council leader last August uh, for four and a half years in North Ayrshire we had had an SNP administration uh, who over their term had actually doubled the uh, amount of reserves that we had uh, in, in our accounts. So while they were making cuts to services, paying off people's jobs, uh, they were doubling uh, reserves over that four and a half year period. So all I did uh, in March this year, Ali, was I reversed that trend. I took the reserves back down to 2%. Uh, of un uh, the onion marked reserves by 22%, which is well in line with the Audit Scotland recommendations, but it allowed me to start investing in one-off uh, things in health and social care, uh, initiatives to start tackling uh, poverty in North Ayrshire, and we have some of the highest levels of poverty in the country. So for me, it was a decision about making sure that every penny that we can actually spend on services to make a difference to the people, uh, the lives of people in North Ayrshire was actually being spent and not being sat away for a rainy day, uh, right. as some, some people call it. 
I, I mean, I, I realise this question I'm giving you, is, it wasn't your decision, but I just want to ask it just um, because it may be something that's going through some of your uh, constituents' minds here. Were the SNP, you're saying they were stashing away for that rainy day and the rainy day fund was, was building. Were they, did they have something in mind that they were stashing this away for then? If they did, then they never let any of us know. Right, uh, OK. So, so it, it was a trend. I mean, uh, the £3.4 uh, million pound figure that you've used uh, is probably more than, than what we actually uh, had used because you, you end up, at the end of the year, when, when people are managing their own budgets and council departments, a lot of the time you end up with some underspends through vacancy management, etc., etc. Uh, so actually the investment that we put into health and social care uh, in total was about £4 million uh, alone. We've put money into uh, poverty initiatives, as I said. So we, we as an administration now, uh, have got a policy of keeping that reserve, uh, onion mark reserve level at 2%, just to make sure that if we do have an underspend again at this, uh, this financial year, which we are, we are currently projecting, then we again will be using that underspend to direct into services for the people of North Yorkshire. So why then has the, the watchdog uh, warned that uh, three councils, Murray, Clipmanager and North Ayrshire, that you, you could be emptying your piggy banks in, in two or three years if you carry on like you're doing, there'll be nothing left. Do they not understand what you're doing? Is that it? So I think the Council Commission report actually uh, had one line in it to say that if we use the same level of reserves that we have this year, Again, over the next two or three, then the reserves are done out, and that's a fairly simple uh, analysis to come to. But it was one line in the report. Right. The report did actually show for the previous two years the, the reserves increasing. And I think what's actually happened, Ali, is that uh, because that has been a line in there that's quite clearly stated and illustrated in a graph, some of the media have maybe uh, ran through the report and says, right, OK, that's quite a an interesting headline and have ran with that story rather than actually analysing what it actually means in North Ayrshire or putting any context to it. Uh, so I, I'm not saying that the Accounts Commission were wrong to put that uh, statement in. I think it, it's fairly obvious uh, to make that statement, but that could only come to fruition if it was actually ever uh, motive to, to continue on that, on that track and quite clearly... Uh, what we did in March for this year was reverse a trend from the previous administration uh, and we have set a, a clear policy of retaining that at 2%. Finance Secretary Derek Mackay told Holyrood, local government has been treated very fairly in a very tough and challenging times at the hands of the UK right-wing Conservative government. Uh, do you agree? Absolutely not. I think if you look at the, the figures... Uh, since 2010, the Scottish budget has been cut by 3.8% in real terms, whereas Scottish local government has seen their budget cut by 7.6% in real terms. And I think it's absolutely the case as well that we need to uh, start introducing into this debate the fact that the Scottish government and the Scottish Parliament do not have to accept Tory austerity and Tory cuts coming to Westminster. Gary Mackay himself before the 14th of December, as he's working on his draft budget, could start to look at income tax powers that he now has. He's got borrowing powers. There's actually a bit in the Scotland Bill that says he can create new devolved powers. For local government, he could scrap the council tax and replace it with a fairer form of local taxation. There's a whole host of tools 
uh, in his box that he could use before the 14th of December. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not he uses any of those to actually protect local services. Because the bottom line is that it's councils on a day-to-day basis who are delivering frontline services to people and communities across Scotland, not the Scottish Government and any government of any political stripes who wants to make a fairer society can't do that unless they properly fund local services and local government. Joel, it'll be interesting to watch what happens with the budget. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. So before the break, we heard from Joe Cullinan, the leader of North Ayrshire Council, regarding the uh, council budgets. Scotland's councils are, as I said, routinely dipping into the rainy day funds to keep services running. Um, A report from the Accounts Commission found nearly two-thirds of local authorities used their cash reserves last year, and that's despite them making savings of half a billion pounds. So what effect is a squeeze having where you live? Have things been shut down or services reduced or stopped? What evidence do you see with your own eyes of the squeeze on local government funding? Treble 3, 2020, 401. George Alexander, who's the leader of Murray Council, has been speaking to our reporter John Rose for Scotland's Talking. January 2016, we tried to increase the community tax by 18%. That wasn't just a hollow gesture, that was the sort of increase we needed to try and balance the budget at the time. But of course we all know what happened then. So as the year has progressed we have used up reserves. We still have some reserves which we can use for the budget for 1819. But when we get to the 1st of April 2019 we're down to the basic recommended minimum of five million. Do you feel as though you're trying to achieve most of what you're trying to do for the good of money with one hand behind your back? Uh, one hand, I would say maybe two hands. <laughs> we have the lowest overall funding per head for the whole of the 32 regions, apart from Aberdeen and Edinburgh. And this situation is exacerbated every year because, first of all, they froze the community tax. Now they have a 3% cap on it. Well, community tax or council tax in Murray is very low anyway, and when you only get a 3% rise, 3% of a small number is a very small number. So we just fall further and further behind. Is it fair to say that what is required or or what falls on the shoulders of the local authority has has far exceeded what is actually capable within your remit? Well, I would have to say that we have really capable staff. I mean, the the staff at Murray Council are absolutely brilliant. I know a lot of them are employed part-time and they get paid for X amount of hours, but I know they're doing X plus Y hours. They are dedicated staff who are genuine civil servants. I would urge the people in Murray to realise that our income is being restricted but we are having to hand out excess amounts of money to cover inflation, to cover pay awards, and also the increased demand on services in Murray is huge because of the demographic spread. We have a high proportion of elderly inhabitants. So the stress is coming from all directions, 
the relief is not coming from central government. George Alexander, who's leader of Murray Council, speaking there to our reporter John Rose for Scotland's Talking. The Scottish budget is coming up the week after next, and Finance Secretary Derek Mackay told Holyrood, we have treated local authorities very fairly in a very challenging framework. I would ask again, what effect is it having where you live? What services have you seen being reduced? And do, do you uh, take the side of your local council who are having to make those cuts? Or indeed, um, do, you, do you think it's, it's Scottish government who should be funding more to local councils? What are your thoughts? Uh, the number again, 033 Let's go to Fred. Hi, Fred. Hi, good morning, Ali. Good morning to you. Your point, Fred. Ali, um, local councils, and a quick one on RBS. Um, to a small degree, I think they waste a lot of money. Um, secondly... Wait, wait, hang are, on, hang on. Where do you think they waste a lot of money? Ali, I could walk about the streets of Aberdeen with you and point out many things that money has been wasted on, and you would see what I mean. But <laughs> over the radio, it's a silly sort of conversation in the respect of what I'm referring to. Name two I'm, of them. Name two things that Aberdeen Council could listen to Fred this morning and um, tomorrow morning go out and make savings. Ali, there are many parts of Aberdeen that are absolutely ridiculous with potholes and winter's coming on again where there'll be more sort of destruction to the potholes because there's been no repairs. There are many other wasted things. And it would sound a bit silly-ally for me to say, oh, to do with that or to do with that. I'm pointing from where money is coming from the council and it is being wasted. I would even like to meet a councillor and take him with me and point out some but things. But you, you would be asking him to spend money to fill the potholes. I'm asking you where he could save them. Ali, that's what I'm saying to you. There's money wasted. I'm talking about that it's money wasted in Aberdeen, and I'll meet any councillor to walk around with them in certain parts of Aberdeen that I've, 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 I know about and point out to him and ask him to come back to you and say, right, yes, that was done because, and that was done because, but that wasn't done because. Okay. There's wasted money, Al. Okay. Anyway, Ali, quickly, um, and also feel... The, the Scottish Government, which is obviously Labour, is, uh, SNP, which you know I'm not a fan of for various reasons, and I said in the past that I would always change my mind, but these are people who are blaming Westminster, Theresa May for cuts, and they're doing exactly the same thing to Scotland. Now, last week, Ali, I listened to uh, Blackford, which is, I believe, the leader of the SNP in Westminster, and he came up with a ridiculous... A conversation to do with RBS, and he said that they, they saved RBS. And I thought, where enough did Scotland save RBS? It was the whole of Britain that saved RBS. Westminster, Scotland, anything. But they claimed the theme to, which they are always doing, is telling blatant lies to the public. Fred, going to stop you there. Need to go to the news. Thank you very much indeed. We'll talk about more about RBS after the news. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally. Uh, RBS, 
They say if your local bank is closing, it's because you are not using it. I know that there will be customers out there who are disappointed by that. But today is also about us responding to the way customers are living their lives and the way customers are choosing to do their banking. Talk more about that in a few moments' time. Let's uh, uh, tidy up some of the other calls that have been coming in. Jimmy Borland. Hello, Good morning, Jimmy. Alice. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, if we could just pick up on one of your previous callers. He was on about uh, the stuff we get served in the press and the things you hear about here and there. It should be disregarded because a lot of it's not really worthwhile. But in my opinion, and this is mine alone, well, it's no mine alone. I probably think there's a few people like me. The, the chat show or any show is a show for people to come on, give their opinion, no matter what it is. But you didn't come on, I don't think, and cr- criticise somebody for their opinion. That's how they stand, stand or fall by it. I've always done that myself, and you, as you know. But getting back to Donald Trump, uh, the man's he's just making a fool of himself. As a, a world leader, he's making a proper fool of himself. But now getting investigated by the FBI, and he said there's nothing to worry about, there's no problem... Uh, I think there is be son in laws get investigated. So there's got to be something deep in that. And at the end of the day, he uh, he will have to come out and say yeah or nay. He can't go and dodge in the column and go to an airport, shake any people to people that are not really interested, I don't think. But, uh, I think he's just a dangerous man. When you come with erroneous statements about other countries and stuff like that, you're in trouble. Well, it would seem, you know, that the Americans um, are, are quite happy with him. You know, well, you, you, if you talk to a general American person who's living, saying he's doing what he said he would do, uh, that's why they voted for him. Well, uh, everything he's doing, he said he would, you know, in, in the lead-up to his campaign, he said he would do these things. He would fight for America. He would fight for American jobs. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as it's no over-the-bridge, so to speak, because he said he would, when you go into power, he'd bowl a, 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 a dike at... The wall, the, the wall, wall, yeah. Well, a wall, a dike. <laughs> don't think a dike would be big enough. <laughs> he, he built a wall right around Mexico and put border men on the, on the, the constituencies so they wouldn't get through. So uh, he, he, he said he'd do that all right, but that caused a lot of bother because there were thousands of folk marched in the streets and riots and stuff like that. Well, if you want to bring that to your country uh, and one of the policies and, and cause friction and sadness... I think it's very dangerous. But he said he was... That's the whole thing, though, Jimmy. When he was fighting to win the the seat in the Oval Office, he made it quite clear that was his policy, that's what he would do, he would build a wall, and the Americans voted him in. Well, Ali, I'm not disagreeing with What I'm saying is, when you make a statement to the fact that you're going to do something like that and you've got hundreds of thousands of people like the actually riots in the streets after it when they started to do it, build up. So, I mean, if it's not a happy country when that's going on, we're living in democracy and so do the Americans. But I don't think they voted for this. I'm just, why do, in the first place, I ask myself, why did he build a bridge or a dike or, or a, a wall around about Mexico to border them off? Why did he do that? Well, you know what they say, Jimmy. It's all about opinions. Thank you for yours. Uh, Michelle, uh, hello. Hi, Ali. Hello, Michelle. Right, what's your um, point? You were talking about councils wasting money. Yeah. Um, I stayed in a high-rise flat in the Gorbals, 22 high. The flats have been condemned. We're all getting moved out. And I opened my door to a guy painting the flat. <laughs> in the, no, the, come the, on. The really? No, I kid you not, yes. And I phoned up. 
and spoke to my housing officer. And I said, why are they painting a, a block of flats, every single floor, 22 floors, when they're getting condemned? And he said, well, we've got to use up the last of the budget. And I said, right, so see, the last of that budget can, obviously there's 22 floors on the high flats. There's eight families on each floor. Some of them have got rented ears. The flats have been condemned. Why not put the money back into that pot or use the money to do a, a Christmas party for the children? Something else, rather than painting a block of flats that's been condemned. And I just don't get the council. I mean, they, they do the stupidest of things. 2010 is when we had that really, really bad winter. And we've still got all the potholes from then that still haven't been fixed. They've just put a wee bit of stones in it and covered it over, but it still keeps coming back. Mm. So what is, I mean, what is the council doing? All this money that they don't have, they want to open a place for people taking drugs. No, I do understand people do have problems. However, they're closing care homes and mental health places, but they're going to open up, they're going to waste all this money for people taking drugs. Or... They're wasting money by painting houses that are going... Ah, painting houses that are, going, th- that are condemning it and torn uh, down in six months' time. Michelle, so far that is the call of the day, because I mean, <laughs> it really is. I mean, you, Did I get you, one of your CDs, Ali? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you'll get two. Listen, you, 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 some of these things, it's often the phrase that's overused, but you couldn't make it up, could you? No, you really couldn't, you honestly. Couldn't. We've got, we've when got... I opened the door, I was, my jaw just hurt the floor. and going, what are you doing? We've got people. We've got people in councils who are highly paid to come to decisions, and here they're deciding. One hand saying these flats are going to be demolished, let's get the families out, and another department says, right, let's go in and waste some money because it's got to be gone. If we don't use this money by March, we won't get it again next year. That's their way of thinking. That's it. And do you know what? That money could be better spent on other things. How long How long are the flats going to be up for? How long is it going to be oh, before you they've, get... They've came down now, and I, I've now got a back-and-front-door house. <laughs> right, OK. So it was, it was worth the wait, staying in a damp-ridden high-rise flat to get where I am now. But the, the problem is... That money could have been better spent on something else. Absolutely. I totally I agree. know they've got a budget and it's got to be used, but use it for something no, else. it's not got to be used, you know. I, I just don't get that, you know, the budget's got to be used. It doesn't have to be used. No, it's like your bank account. Oh, dearie Put it in your savings account if you need to use it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Michelle, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye No now. bother at all. Bye-bye. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Ah, oh dear. Right, Andrew is in Bathgate. Hello, Andrew. Morning, Ali. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well. I have to laugh when you hear about councils having to dip into cash reserves. I'm sure I'm not the only one up and down the country who would love a cash reserve to dip into in the last couple of years. But welcome to the real world. But my message to the council, um, I mean, everybody's having to tighten their belt, and I don't see how the council should be any different. Hmm. They're tightening their belt, but, you know, they are... The fact that they've got cash reserves, you know, they have to have it there for a rainy day. We understand that. But that surely the question is that how how long can we go on in this... In Scotland, I'm talking about, you know, never mind the rest of the UK. I'm talking about Scotland here. How long can we go on, Andrew, where the councils are being cut back 
and cut back and cut back because it's you and I that are suffering. Now, I understand what you're saying, that welcome to the real world, but they, they cannot continue over the years keeping council monies cutting back um, where they're going to have to keep coming up with different ways of doing things. Let's only lift the bins every fortnight. And then two years later, let's lift the bins once a month now because that will save even more money. You know, it, it just goes on and on. Do, have, do you not see any uh, any cuts in your area? Bathgate has historically had been a, a quite a deprived area, um, if I'm being honest, Ali. Um, I mean, the West Lothian Council... I don't have any real arguments or any, any concerns about how they've, they've, they've budgeted. I think they're, they're a pretty fair council overall. My, my concern and criticism would be with the Scottish Government. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a serving police officer and pensions and, and for, for myself and other um, public sector workers have been absolutely slashed. Terms and conditions have been slashed. But the, the, the Scottish uh, ministers, their pensions are, are, are untouched and they seem to be doing all right. So I think the, the, the cuts need to be made at a more central level, and then that, that hopefully that, that would filter through to, to the, 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 the local councils. It would then balance out, do you think? Well, it certainly, it may not balance it out, but it certainly would, would give a bit of breathing space mm-hmm. to the council. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the MSPs and MPs are still getting their final salary pensions, and you know they don't seem to be making the, the cuts that the rest of them are having to make. Andrew, thank you very much indeed for your points on Scotland's Talking today. Let me get uh, into social media, some of the comments being coming in. Uh, here's one that says about Donald Trump, it was the people who voted him in that should be thinking about, as I think they have made a bad choice. Well, that's up to them. Uh, thank you. Uh, here's another one that says, the road to savings, as far as the councils are concerned, is uh, privately owned businesses and getting rid of management or a lot of pen pushers uh, that can apply to the NHS and, you know, bring back more nurses and matrons in the wards. I'm not sure that's the answer, but I hear what you're saying. Yes, I hear what you're saying. Maybe too many pen pushers uh, throughout the whole service. Jim and Stirling says, uh, I'm with you on the topic of councils. They've got a hard job to keep going. Uh, winter just coming upon us as well. Thank you, Jim. All right, let's turn then to the banks. Is the last bank about to move out of town where you live? We've had another round of closures announced in the last week. The Bank of Scotland shutting down 13, and now the Royal Bank of Scotland is locking the doors on 62 across the country. They tell us it's our fault because we're not using them enough. And it's not just the small village ones anymore. All over Scotland, they're pulling out of large towns like Airdrie, Dunblane, Dunbar, Lockerbie, Pitlochry and granted on Spain. Jane Howard is the head of personal banking at RBS. We've seen a massive change in the last few years. Um, one in five of our customers now choose to do their banking online, on our mobile app. And we need to respond to that change. So we've invested in digital banking and on online banking. And we've invested in our telephone offering. That means you can do your banking 24-7 from wherever you want. On top of that, we've introduced a video service because customers told us that they would benefit from being able to have a video service from the comfort of their own home for something important like a mortgage. And then there are still customers who would like us to do their banking face-to-face with us and they welcome coming into a branch, particularly for something like a financial health check. So we've still got a strong branch network, and on top of that, we invest in our Bank on Wheels, which serves about 700 communities every week. 
and then customers can also use the post office. We do have some customers who are, who are uncomfortable um, banking online and what we've done to help those customers invest in what we call a tech expert and we have those in every branch. On top of that though we have a community banker and we have a network of community bankers across the UK and their job is to help customers all day every day who might need that additional help to do their banking online. So if I get that correct they've got a team of people who'll go around teaching you how to use a computer and if you need help then just pop into a branch except they're closing a quarter of them. Isn't that a bit of a catch-22? But even with all this wonderful technology, no one has yet invented a phone so smart that I can pay a cheque into it. Yes, I still use cheques. I've still got chequebooks, both for business and personal use. If you're in a shop or you've got a business where people pay you cash, just what are you supposed to do with all the money? I mean... You can use the post office, the woman from RBS says. But haven't they closed lots of them as well? So how are these latest bank closures going to affect you? 0333-2020-401. The SNP's Pete Wishart is the chairman of the Scottish Affairs Committee at Westminster. I'm absolutely appalled by the scale of these cuts from RBS. It's practically a decimation of the services across large swathes of rural Scotland. We know that there's large swathes of people migrating online to do their banking services, and that's going to increasingly happen. But these are still vital services in rural areas where so many local businesses do their own day-to-day banking. We've also got the issues of a number of um, tourist operations that work there, bringing in loads and loads of people from outside the area who expect to see these services in their high street. It's going to create massive problems for local communities, for people who visit us, and for employers more than anything else. And I really do hope that RBS reconsider what they're doing here because they are cutting a local amenity from so many centres right across rural Scotland. I could sense from colleagues right across Scotland that there's a deep, deep unhappiness about what's being proposed and I think we really need to get these people in front of us and to have some hard questions about their objectives and their commitment and their service to, to local communities, particularly in rural areas. And Tory MSP for Dumfrieshire, Oliver Mundell, is threatening to tear up his chequebook in protest. I'm absolutely furious with this decision from the Royal Bank. I think it's a complete betrayal of rural customers and is unacceptable. I was frustrated the last time round when they decided to close a number of branches, including the branch in Lot Maben where I opened my own first account. And at that time, they promised that there would be other branches available in the local area for customers to use. And now we find out they're going to leave us with just a skeleton uh, service asking customers, in some cases, to make a 60-mile round trip uh, to their nearest branch. And I think that it's time that, that customers vote with their feet. And you know, I'm urging uh, people to consider switching banks, because I think uh, those banks who do continue to want to have a physical presence in our region should be uh, supported. And I don't think... Uh, that RBS should should get away with this scot-free. I'm planning to close my own uh, personal banking accounts uh, with RBS because I feel they are badly letting down uh, my constituents. OK, tearing up your chequebook in protest, um, so says Oliver Mundell. Uh, as far as the RSB, uh, TSB is concerned, is another bank, um, you know, 
I, I, on an issue this week, when we were talking about it in the office on Friday, uh, heard about uh, one lady who was trying to make an appointment at a TSB bank. And, and I'm going here because uh, Oliver Mundell says, move your bank, but who do you move it to? You know, uh, TSB uh, lady was trying to make an appointment uh, for her elderly mother to uh, talk about the account that she had. Mother wasn't happy about it, wanted to go to the bank and sort it out. And on behalf of her mother, um, this this customer of the TSB has phoned the branch last week nine times between Tuesday and Friday. And every time it's, I'm sorry, we're unable to take your call at the moment all our agents are busy with customers. So that's a whole week that they've been trying to get through to a branch to make an appointment for someone to go in. So moving banks, is, is that the answer? I personally was a, a, an account holder um, with uh, Royal Bank of Scotland for probably 35 years. And I tore up my checkbook a few years ago well, after a couple of instances with them and moved banks. Has it been any better? I'm not sure. But what do you think? What do you think about the banks? How is that going to affect you? One uh, Royal Bank of Scotland branch is not too far away from here. I've used it occasionally. We'll be talking about that again. It's always busy. You know, OK, they've got one. Sometimes they really get excited and put two people on the, the counter. But it's always busy. They're queues. And that's one of the branches they're closing. How is it going to affect you? Here's the number, 0333 2020 401. Are you one of those who will follow uh, Oliver Mundell's, um, what he's going to do is move branches or, or move banks, tear up his uh, RBS checkbook and move banks? Are you going to do that? Do you feel that strongly or will you just accept it and get on with life? What do you think? Number is 033-2020-401. You can text 61054, start your message with Ali. And if you're on Twitter, it's hashtag Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Let's go back on the phone lines and Keith is in Montrose. Keith, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Ali. Morning, Keith. Your point today, please. Yeah, just basically about the RBS. I mean, I've been an RBS customer for the last 40 years and um, obviously seen a lot of the changes in that and, and actually gone with the changes. I mean, I use online banking, etc. But just recently, I started uh, a new business with my daughter and son-in-law and I went to the Montrose branch of the Royal Bank of Scotland because um, they have a, a business manager who I know, and I was able to present our business case to them and basically negotiate a, a loan, as one does. And, um, of course, you know, we, we uh, also have a business account there where we pay in money um, mm -hmm. from the business. Um, and now we find that it's going to close. And, you know, it, it's just a case of, you know, if you do ring the Royal Bank of Scotland and you do happen to get hold of somebody, you've probably got some, I don't know, <laughs> Spotty-faced youth who doesn't, who from Glasgow, who really doesn't know what your situation is or anything else, and um, isn't able really to talk to you on on uh, the level that you want to talk to. You really want to speak face to face to somebody, mm -hmm. and now that's not going to be, um, you know, the opportunity is going to go. So, if and, it, sorry, but if you're um, involved in a cash business and you need to put money in, 
Where will you have to travel to from Montrose then if you want to? How will you do that? I don't know. Um, I, I guess they're probably um, they're saying that they're going to keep the Arbrose branch open, but um, you know, our business is actually in Lawrence Kirk. Right. And um, so we're we're now looking at um, what a travel to Arbrose to put money in until they close the Arbrose branch down, which of course is going to probably happen as well. Um, I honestly think it's it's less about the footfall through the banks because whenever you go through the go to the bank, there's always a queue in there. Mm-hmm. I've never been to the bank without a queue in there. I think it's more about um, performance bonuses for the the sort of parasites at the top of the tree, if you like. And I call them parasites because you know the the public have supported the Royal Bank of Scotland, especially through all their difficult times, and now they just sort of turn around and and um, put two fingers up at the general public, you know? Well, surely, you know, they, they should be um, supporting people like yourself, businesses, new businesses, who are, are trying to, to get part of the economy going, making, making a go of it, um, and then they're, they're basically they're, they're taking the rug away from you, really, aren't they? Well, they are, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, it makes life so much more difficult all the way, all around, you know. And it's no wonder that people don't want to take the chance and open businesses in the country anymore. You know, say between between the banks and, and councils and that, and uh, that's another story. But, um, you know, everything's stacked against you as a businessman. So will you consider moving to another bank? Yes. Um, my, certainly my personal account will... Um, I'll probably go to First Direct, which is an online bank, but they seem to have a much better reputation than anybody else. And um, the business account, I don't know where I'm going to take that to. Um, who who are left in Montrose then, amongst the big banks? I think uh, HMOS is still there. Um, I think, I'm really not sure. I don't know if TSB is still there. There was a TSB branch, but I'm, I don't know. Right. I honestly don't know who's there anymore. Right, but I mean, as I say, your, your business is in Lawrence Kirk, so it's it's a situation that's either Arbroath or going down the road, or it's Aberdeen going up the way, isn't it? You're stuck that's in the right. middle there. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, very much so. And and it's all time out of the day. You know, whatever you need to do, it's uh, time, it's increased fuel, it's increased costs. You know, and and um, it's totally unwarranted. Um, yeah, I, I think that the banks have a, a duty to the community. You know, the, the, they've been supported all these years by the community. I think it's time now that the bank started to show a bit more support to the community. Keith, thank you very much indeed, and, and hopefully it works out for you and all the best with the, the new business. Uh, Sandy. Hello, I'm here. Yeah. Yes, you're there. Right. Your, your thoughts, Sandy? Well, listen, I was looking at that lady, and she paints a fantastic picture of uh, all the things you've got, but I'm not online. I'm the one that goes into the bank and sees a face and occasionally the hole in the wall. But that doesn't apply to me, but all this fantastic things I've got. And they're still shutting, still closing, and um, uh, they're really annoyed at it. So does your, uh, does your options... Uh, first of all, how often would you go into a bank, Sandy? About maybe three times a week. Three times a week, right. Yeah. About 
only for small stuff like I mean only only if I need you need it and occasionally go in the whole wall but I'm not very keen on that right okay so what branch is there a branch that you use well, that's closing yeah, South, South Street in Perth is closing yeah South Street in Perth that's the one I go to mostly right I know there's queues at times but the Dunkirk Road the Chief Bank and the their queues are about four times longer, and it's uh, and if everybody's going to go there, it's going to be chaotic. So the one in South Street that you use, when you go in, you've just said there are queues at times. At, at times, yeah. But there is times when it isn't isn't busy. It isn't like you know. But do, do but, you do you understand where the the banks are coming from in the fact that? Uh, more and more people are using it online, so therefore they have to scale back as well. Well, I'm one of the ones that's left behind that one. But what annoys me is when they got bailed out and they're sort of nationalised and uh, they're shutting loads of banks in Scotland and probably England as well. But they're leaving the high and dry. And I've been, I've been with the Royal Bank for 60 years, and it really annoys me. Mm. Sandy, thank you for your thoughts. Uh, Jean's in Les Mahego. Hi, Jean. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. I was just wondering, I know I'm not the worst, but I have the thought of people like me who are disabled and blind. I don't have a computer, I can't go online, and I rely on my local bank. What are we to do? Mm. Now, at the moment, when four years ago, when I became disabled and blind, the local bank, I have nothing but praise for them. And they set it all out so that it's the least bother with me. I only needed to go to the bank once a week. And then we were able to get money from the Royal Bank at the post office. So that covered that. I was left with one account, which was a Royal Bank account, and I paid it by phone. I had a big card, and two months ago, the phone just to say, no longer could we phone this and pay the account. I was paying the account to the Royal Bank, and we need to go online to pay it. So I went, went to the local bank, but didn't have to go by taxi because I'm not on a bus route. And I went, or somebody to take me, and then they have to take me in. And I went in, and the girls was great. And so I've started back now, and it's going to be closing, that once a month I've got to go to the bank to pay this account. So is the this, bank, is your bank going to be affected with the closures? Yes, it's in the closure, yes. And all round about, it's the same. The nearest bank after that, I'll be about, I'll need, you need to taxi about seven miles to get into the bank. There's no parking. They would need to drop you off. You need to have somebody with you to be with you while the taxi or the car parked. And they would you need to you phone them when you come out of the bank to bring you back home. But whoever's made this decision, who's looking down these bank lists and just putting a red pen through mm-hmm. them, Jean, they're not thinking of you. No. They're not, I've been a customer in the Royal Bank personally for 54 years. 50, and my mother and father and my father's business was before that. My husband's business was at... I'm sorry for the local tradesmen and the local shopkeepers who work with cheques and pay it into the bank. They've got to travel about seven miles to pay in and they're, they're drawing wages out to pay their employees. Mm. And, no, and, and not just that. If you're in business and you pay a cheque into the bank, you're charged for it. If you're in business. It didn't used to be. You used to have to be overdrawn before you did that. But no now. They get a bill every month for all the checks they pay in. That's right, you get charged. And so you the bank's it. making that money. But I, I mean, I know I'm sorry for people that are worse than me because I'll get around it somehow. But have the thought about that? I can't. When I had paid this, I had everything put in a great big card. And when I, I had to press a certain number, and somebody spoke to me because they knew I was blind. And I paid it. And I was quite proud of myself paying this every month. And that was, that was just it. So now this is all going to be done away with.
and that that's and the girls in the local bank are so helpful, and that's just if I need to ask something, that uh, they write it down to show you. Like just for example, I say what's my statement stand in it, and, and she would write it d- down. Well, she knows I can't see, so they take me to the side and they whisper to me how much my statement is, so that I know where I stand, and then I'll say, well, pay that and pay that. But now I've got everything put in direct debit, so I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. And local service is going to be lost, Jane. Thank you for your call. Christopher's in Dumfries. Hi, Christopher. Hi, how are you doing? You're All right, right, thank you, yes. Yeah, just a little bit, uh, you know, I was just listening in there, Ali, and um, the, the guy from Montrose really kind of, um, he got to me a little bit, to be, to be quite honest with you. Uh, now, I understand people's circumstances are, are different, um, you know, with disability, this and that and the next thing. But we live in a like a society that's um, you know moving forward, uh, and any any business worth its salt now is going to be online, so they can do online banking and stuff like that. That's just the way of the world right now, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah, but there are occasions where mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even in you know stuff that I deal with on a day-to-day basis that you, you can't do it online you've got there are people still paying by checks there are some business that you've got to do and it's 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 forcing people down that line of going online isn't it well, of, of course it is it's, it's the way of change you know people don't like change that that's that's my whole point i mean i mean checks to be honest with you are a thing well i you know i'm, I'm I'm not exactly a spring chicken you know what i mean but um i think checks are now a thing of the past because they could be forged, they can be this and that and the next thing. Um, but I just think, you know, it's a case of people don't embrace change as much as they should do. Um, and you know, I do appreciate people have been banking with uh, RBS for what, 50, 40, 50, 60 years. Now, I, I do appreciate that. Um, but, you know, times do change. You know, it's not like we're living back in the, the 40s or 50s. And uh, this is what happens, um, especially, but, you know, if, if you actually run a business and you're paying like, uh, money into to uh, an account, uh, if you're going to have to actually pay into the bank personally, where you can do it actually online, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, a little bit of a different kind of story, you know what I mean? Because you can actually do that without actually queuing up uh, and making sure that your money is actually registered in, in, uh, to, to whatever account that, that you want that to be in. You know, um, and it's just a case of like you know, it's it's the <clears throat> excuse me, it's a case of the high street. You know, you walk up any sort of like high street in Scotland these days, and it's <clears throat> it's full of empty shops. Local retailers have went to went to pot because of rent, rent and rates and stuff like that. And I do say it's the same for the banks. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, uh, uh, you know, many people. I'm just. You know, while you're talking there, I'm looking at some of the social media messages that are coming in. I've got loads of them, so I can't read them all. But um, the the thread that's going through this is summed up by Alex from Coke Bridge. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did Joe Public not bail out the banks, including the RBS? Well, the answer to that is yes. Uh, Joe Public is still a major... um, shareholder in the RBS. So as, as, as a major shareholder in the RBS, should we, instead of criticising them, should we be saying they're absolutely correct because they're saving our money? They're spending money on branches that are not cost-effective, so they're making the right decisions? Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like, I think it's kind of black and white. You know, people just see it like as they, they can go to the bank, pay their money in, and walk away, you know, have a little receipt in their pocket, 
and then walk out knowing so well that the, the you know that everything's banked. Um, but but the the guy from Coatbridge is absolutely hundred percent correct. They've got to look after the you know the shareholders' money, and, and that's exactly hundred percent what it is. Christopher, thank you, thank you very much indeed. And uh, Alex from Coatbridge just goes on to say all the banks seem to be the same. As I was in my local bank of Scotland, the line of people was out the door, and one staff member on the desk. I was asked if I was paying money into my account. I said yes and was directed to a machine uh, to be shown how to use it with one snag. When you put £20 notes in the machine, you have to make sure the silver mark side goes up first or it's rejected. It's nothing worse. (laughs) Thanks for that, uh, Alex. Uh, Many more, as I say, coming in there uh, regarding the uh, banks and uh, lots of texts coming in. Phone number 033-2020-401 if you'd like to make your comment. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Text in here that says, why don't you have RBS on to provide answers? Well, I don't know if you missed Jane Howard, who's the head of personal banking at RBS. She was on uh, earlier uh, giving uh, her statement as such, and I don't think there's much more to say than she's saying. They're closing the branches. Simple as that. Uh, Deirdre, Hello. Hello there, Ali. You're in Bishop Briggs. How does it affect you then? Um, Well, it has affected me because um, there's been a few branches of my bank, which is the Clydesdale Bank, have closed down. Um, They've closed down in Bishop Briggs and in Springburn. So you have to go to either Kirtantillich or the town. Having said that, I think it's a total disgrace that all these banks, especially the Royal Bank of Scotland, which is is really run by us. Well, we've put the money in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a disgrace that they're all closing down. Um, simply because I feel that you need a face-to-face representation to the public because you've got to actually give them advice. A lot of customers come in looking for advice savings, different things like that, where are they going to go? They're not going to go online. They're not going to go on a telephone because people don't want to speak to people on a telephone and be told, oh, yes, do this, do that. Is that not just because that's not what we're used to, though? No, I don't think so. I don't honestly think so. Would you personally go in and speak to somebody face-to-face to ask about advice about, like, say, your savings or a mortgage, or anything like that. I know a lot of the mortgages and loans are done online. Not everybody's online. Mm-hmm. You know, there's loads and loads of people that are very, very frightened of going online and their sort of online business being sort of interrupted by likes of bogus people. Yeah, you know what I mean. I know. No, I'm with you on what you're saying, but I also look at it from uh, the bank's point of view. You said, you know, the Clydesdale Bank have closed branches. The RBS are closing branches. Branches. Very much. Uh, The Bank of Scotland are closing branches. So they all have one thing in common. They're seeing that the usage of these branches are going down, and therefore they're no longer viable financially. Now, as shareholders, as we all supposedly are in the RBS, are they not doing the right thing in that they're cutting out those that are losing money? 
Absolutely not, because I think people will still use the banks, they still want to go in there, they still want to have a face-to-face, they still want to know where their money is coming and going to, they also still want to maybe ask for advice about their savings, which is obviously going to help the shareholders in the long run. Um, And as well as that, it's just, it's not viable for not just shareholders, but the, the, the people that are actually putting the money in, the wee people, the wee people that mm-hmm. are maybe not able to afford maybe computers, don't know what computers are for, can't do online banking. You can't do online banking for everything. The Clyster Bank is actually maybe forerunner is in as far as likes of maybe checks, paying in checks through your um, sort of phone, etc. Stuff like that mm. now is concerned, but not all banks are there. So what do you do if you've got a business or even you're just wanting to pay in, say, your granddaughter, your grandson's little bit of money into their accounts? What do you do if you've not got a computer? You're not really savvy with internet banking. And, and there's a lot of people like that, Deirdre. I'm exactly. Going to, I'm going to have to stop you there, I'm afraid. We are running out of time on the programme. Now. Uh, thank you, Deirdre, for your thoughts. Uh, I'd like to squeeze in Karen, who's in Kilwinning. Hello, Karen. Hiya. Hi there. Your thoughts? Uh, uh, the bank in uh, Kilwinning is actually closing down. That leaves no bank at all in the town. Um, what, what I feel that um, I think it's not fair is getting pushed into uh, like the man said before, it's the up-to-date thing now is internet banking, mm-hmm. to, uh, which I find very scary. It's, you know, I don't trust it through fraud. Uh, I was really actually nearly a victim of fraud by giving an email from a bank that wasn't actually a bank. Right. And they were asking me to verify myself. I phoned up the bank and queried it, and the only reason why I queried it is because it was asking me to verify myself for was on, regarding online banking. I don't do online banking. So I right. phoned up the branch and they told me it wasn't even from them. And I was to send on this email so that they can investigate it. So there's a fraud which scares a lot of people to use. Online banking it certainly scared me. I don't use it. I don't think it's safe. Right. Uh, and to close all the banks, I think it's a bad idea. They should give people the choice, not force them into doing... You know, this online banking stuff, if you're not feeling safe about it. And if you're giving information out of your account, then are you to blame if anything should happen? It's just so lucky for me I didn't open the Absolutely. Email. At least you took the advice that's been yeah. given all the time, you know. Yeah, don't, so, don't do it. I mean, it's not fair on people that, that don't want to do it because of the fear of fraud. And it does happen. People's accounts are getting, you know... You know, it does happen. So, I mean, it happened to me that the fact that the only reason it didn't happen, my account didn't get touched or anything like that, is because I didn't give information. Ask me to verify myself. Karen, thank you very much indeed. Um, good advice there as well. I'll leave the last word here. It says, in Linlithgow, the TSB closed their bank and now RBS are closing their branch. Why not have a one-stop shop for banking? Each bank would have their own customer service station. Sharing a building would save money in maintenance, heating and local taxes. That's a bit uh, forward-thinking there, but thank you very much indeed. I'm going to have to go now. That's it for Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye.